0: Amen. Good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. Thank you for being here. And uh, we're certainly thinking of the Dover family during this time, as well as those who are uh, ill this morning and not with us. But we're so very glad to have those of you who are with us in person this morning as well as those of you joining us online. And if you're visiting with us, we want you to know that you're special to us, uh, you're important to us, and we hope to see you again uh, at any opportunity. And if there's any way we can serve you, be sure to let us know. Do you know what Steve Jobs, Oprah Winfrey and Tim Tebow have in common? You might think, well, they're rich and famous, right? that's obviously what they have in common well that's true but the other thing the less lesser known thing they have in common is that all three of their mothers either considered or were encouraged to abort them before giving birth to them and obviously decided against that and th- they're just examples of many many people uh, who we know their story. We know something about them. And, and you don't have to be some kind of rich and famous, well-known person for that to be important. But that they're because they are someone who is of celebrity status, that, that kind of helps us think about that subject. Well, in this new series that we're going to do for the next few weeks, we're going to just look at a different question each week. What about this? What about this? And we're going to see what the Bible has to say about that subject. And I realize that this is one that uh, has always been a heated, debated question. It's one that is uh, uncomfortable. It's one that can be difficult. It's one that can be sad. It's one that can be challenging. And, and I don't know where anyone is as far as where you're at in in any kind of experience with this. So I understand that there's even a sensitivity to have when talking about this subject. The latest numbers reveal to us that in 2020, there were 930,160 abortions in the US alone. That's almost 1 million babies who were never able to be born and live their lives. Their lives were taken from them. So let me ask you, does it make sense that you can be fined up to $5,000 and spend up to a year in jail for breaking a bald eagle's egg? Does it make sense that you can uh, be fined up to $200,000 or six months in jail for taking sea turtle eggs and yet although it's just recently changed there are still places in this country states where you can go and abort a baby that just seems to not equal something seems to be wrong with that we say well they're not exactly the same thing i get it but but still it there's a contrast there that ought to stand out to us that makes us think yeah something's off with that. Some, something is off with our, our morality, our beliefs, our, our thinking in that because in in on one hand, we recognize that while they are endangered species that these are living things that these are these are alive, there are babies in there. And yet over here, some even claim that those are not human, that they're they're, they're not babies until they're they're actually born. Something doesn't seem right. So we typically think about this subject in a political frame of reference from that perspective. And that's how we hear it yelled about and talked about and, and the arguments on one side or another for or against and all of that. Or as a social justice issue or even a healthcare type of issue. And so we hear things from both sides, from all different groups, wherever they might land on that. But I want you to know, I'm not addressing this as a political subject at all. And and I think it's important that Christians understand that there are some subjects that are talked about in culture and in our world, that while there's a place for them to be talked about in society, that we have to look at it as Christians as, is this a biblical issue? What does God have to say about this subject? What is it as a Christian I need to know about this subject, about this issue, about in particular abortion? Is it, is it, can you quote all the talking points of whichever side you're on, all the right political talking points, and yet you don't know what the Scripture says about this subject? You see, if you're a Christian, you need to be educated, you need to be informed, you need to understand, what does the Bible say about this subject or that subject? And so that's what we want to do in this series. And I realize we could go on and on forever with raising different questions, but we'll do this for, I think it's about six weeks, and just cover some different ones that people have brought up to me or that I think are are, uh, relevant or ones that uh, would be helpful to look at. So we're not going to look at this from a political perspective at all. Like I said, there's a place for that. But our morality, our beliefs from God's Word, and we talked about that in Bible class, what the Word of God says to us, that ought to inform our politics and our civic engagement. But we have to understand that that our our beliefs and our thinking shouldn't come from what culture says, from what this person says or that person says, or from experience. It should come from the Word of God. So what can God tell us about this subject, abortion? There's pro-life arguments that can be made, certainly, based on just morality. And, of course, we could ask, well, where do those come from? But you can make pro-life arguments outside of Scripture that are reasonable and logical and make sense. In fact, there are atheists and agnostics who uh, believe in pro-life. They don't believe that abortion is right. They don't think people should do that, whether they're doctors or whatever. And so you, you, you can make the arguments outside of Scripture. But as Christians, what we want to be grounded in and firm on is, thus saith the Lord. What does the Bible say? So Christians can't just ask, well, is it legal? We need to ask, is it right? Is this what God would have us to do? What does God's word say? What would God tell us to do to think, to believe in this, uh, regarding this subject? We see in God's word that from the very beginning, God was about creating life wasn't he? From the very beginning, God created, and God created life. He created Adam and Eve in the garden. He breathed into them the breath of life, and they became a living soul. He made us, created us in His image and likeness. And turn with me to Genesis chapter 5. And here we see the first genealogy in the Bible, in Scripture. Genesis 5, 1 through 3. This is the book of generations of Adam, of the generations of Adam, Moses writes. When God created man, see, he's linking it to the first creation, isn't he? When God created man, he made him in his likeness, in the likeness of God. Male and female, we're going to talk about that uh, down the road. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. Verse 3, look at this. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered, now your translation may say begot, okay? That's the word we want to look at. He fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth, okay? It's after Cain and Abel. So the rest of the chapter continues. You can look and it says, and and Seth fathered or begot so-and-so, and and they begot so-and-so, and and they fathered so-and-so. This is a genealogy similar to Jesus' in Matthew chapter 1. It's the same thing, and it's the father's lineage. He fathered. Now that word is important because that Hebrew word is used in different ways when it's referring to a mother, It is always referring to conception as well as carrying the baby, the the pregnancy, and birth. So it can refer to the whole process from start to to birth of life, from conception to birth. When it's referring to, like we see in this genealogy and in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew 1, it is a little bit different. It refers to only conception on the Father's part. Why is that? Because women, anyone who has had a child, you know, the only role he plays is the part when it comes to conception, right? He doesn't carry that baby. Men cannot carry babies. He, he does not deliver that baby. Men cannot have a baby, right? Now, <laughs> some think that they can, but uh, that, that's later on. But, but that according to Scripture, what we see is that that's what the the woman does, what she is capable and able to do based on how God created her and her uniqueness and her uh, how wonderful she is. But the man can only uh, be God or father when it comes to conception, okay? Now, I realize we have different ages in the audience, uh, and so we want to be mindful of that. Now, when it's, So it only refers to conception from the moment. What that tells us is from the moment of fertilization, okay, from the moment of fertilization takes place, the child's genetic makeup is complete. Everything it needs is right there, isn't it? It it doesn't look like a baby. It's not moving. There's no hands and eyes yet. But from the moment uh, fertilization takes place, his genetic, the baby's genetic makeup is complete. Its gender is determined. Its height, its hair and, and skin color, its eye color is determined. And, and all that it takes is time for that to develop, for God to, to, his creation process, what God did for it to take place and to happen. And, and what you have happen is that that little embryo, that those cells become a human Baby, But from the very beginning, it's always been a human life, made in God's image and worthy of protection and care, okay? So when writing about the birth of John the Baptist, Luke records what the angel of the Lord told Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth would have a son. So look with me on this next slide in Luke chapter 1. Look at verse number 15 and what the angel says to Zechariah. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And look at this, even from his mother's womb. Do you see that? So the Bible is showing us that whether it's, In the womb at conception in the the mother's tummy or after the baby's been born, the Bible, God considers that a human child. Do you see that? And when God thinks of that child, He thinks of that child even in the mother's womb. And even we're going to see before that. Now... Uh, there's no distinction between unborn or born. And that's what culture wants to do, is make a distinction between the two sometimes in order to uh, uh, advocate for abortion. It's not a human, uh, that's, thats not a baby yet, uh, that sort of thing. But what we see in Scripture is that it's always a human child when the mother is pregnant. Now, what, what happened, do you remember, when Elizabeth and Mary, her cousin, and Mary was pregnant with who? Jesus. What happened when they got together that first time? The Bible says that John, what? Leaped in his mother's womb. Now, if that wasn't a baby human child in there, how did did he leap? And, And how does the Bible refer to his name? You see, because from the very beginning, it was a human child in his mother's tummy. So there's other passages in scripture that talk to us about babies before they're born. Look at Genesis 25:23. God t- God told Rebekah, you have two nations in your womb with Jacob and Esau, right? Two nations. So God looks and sees, you've got two babies in there, but those aren't even two babies. Those represent two nations. So that helps us think about the, the, the future of unborn children and, and the way God sees them and the future that God knows they're going to have and their, their capacity and their, their purpose and their potential. Samson said of himself in Judges sixteen seventeen, a razor has never come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. You see that? Isaiah wrote of himself in Isaiah 49 about how God created him and called him to do his work. Look at verse number 1. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he he named my name. Look at the care and the attention and the, 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 the love that God has for unborn children. Babies and mama's tummy. God knows them. God God knows their name. God knows what they're going to do in life. They're as much of a human as you and I sitting here physically right now. Look at verse 5. He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, Isaiah says. Look at Jeremiah 1, 4 through 5. God spoke to Jeremiah saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now that's interesting. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now that's saying something a little bit different, isn't it? Before you were even conceived, I knew you. See, God is all-knowing. God knows everything. There's nothing He does not know. He sees all time at once and knows all things at once and yet gives us free will. And and so He knows what He's doing. He knows what He has done. He knows what He has set in motion to have done. And He says, before I formed you in the womb, that tells us a couple of things at least, that, that I formed you in the womb he's saying, about children. And before I did that, I knew you, Jeremiah. That says something about babies, doesn't it, before they're born. Paul said himself that he was set apart before he was born in Galatians 1.15. Now, we see this interesting example in Exodus 21. Look look at these passages there. That there was protection for a mother and her unborn child. Look at verses 22 through 25. When men strive or fight together, and if they hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, in other words, she delivers, she goes into labor and delivers, but there's no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined. So there was punishment because you hit a woman, you caused injury, she delivered early, you're going to be punished. But look at this, as the woman's husband shall impose on him and he shall pay as the judges determine. determined. But look at verse 23, but if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. If that baby is hurt, if that baby is killed, if the woman, the mama is killed or hurt, you see... You shall pay life for life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. In other words, if if you hurt her or the baby or kill her or the baby, you're going to pay. There's a severe penalty. Now, why would he just not say, if you hurt the woman? Because the baby... It's understood in Scripture. It's not debated. No one questioned it. It was just known. Everybody knew it and understood it. That that's a human baby inside of that mother. And it's that simple. It's not something else. You see, if it's not a, if it's not a human baby at the beginning or in the first trimester, or in the second trimester, if it's not a human baby until the third trimester, or until delivery, delivery, then what was it before it became human? Do we do that to any other living creature? Do we look at that eagle's egg and say, that's not a baby bald eagle in there? Do we look at a baby shark and say, that's not a baby shark? until it's born? No. In fact, if you watch those uh, 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 vet shows on TV, and they have, uh, we've seen a turtle, a dog, all kinds of animals go into the the vet, and there's something wrong with the mama, and what do they do? They do a sonogram on all kinds of different animals, and we saw one that was a big mama turtle, and what do you see? You see all those babies. They might be in an egg, or they might be just Swimming around in there. You see all those babies. And you don't question whether or not, is that a horse inside that turtle? You don't ask that. You don't ask, is that a sandwich? No one asks those questions. You know that's a baby turtle. You know that's a baby puppy. It just hadn't been delivered yet. But somehow we get to talking about human beings. Well, by the way, when God created us, he, he looked at his creation and said, it is very good. We look at the pinnacle of God's creation, human beings, and somehow we can't figure out that that's a baby human inside of there. We don't understand that. But we do. People just want to, you know, twist our mind. We want to do what we want to do, so we got to rationalize and justified to get what we want and convince people and push an agenda. So clearly there was concern here in Exodus 21 for the life of the mother and the unborn child. Now look at these other verses, other scriptures speak to this. Exodus 23:7. do not kill the innocent. Well, if anyone is innocent, it's that baby in mama's tummy, right? If there's anybody in the world who's innocent, See, you and I have done something, right? You've done something you got away with, okay? You stole some gum. You did something, and you're not innocent of everything, right? But that baby inside a mama is perfectly pure and innocent. And the Bible says, do not kill the innocent. Proverbs 6, 17, the Lord hates hands that shed innocent blood. Isaiah 5, 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I think that describes uh, a portion of our culture and our world today. We call evil good, some people do. And say, you that's not bad, that, that's actually good. And what you think is good is actually bad. It's like those street magicians with... The shell game, find the the shell, and you're never going to win, right? Now, see, that's that's not, it's it's the Jedi mind trick. You think it's that, but it's really this. And all of a sudden, you're thinking, well, maybe I need to go along with what culture says. The wave is going that way. The ocean is moving, and I'm just in it, right? Culture is the soup that you swim in, the ocean you swim in. So it's going that way, right? So it says that's what is true, therefore, it must be true. Well, see, that's why you've got to decide what it is you're going to believe. Are you going to believe God's Word, or are you going to believe contemporary culture? Because it will not always be right. And guess what? As soon, It's just like fashion. As soon as you catch up and you're able to get those new pair of jeans, guess what? They've moved on, and your jeans are out of style. See, I, I, I just want to find some jeans, you know? You ever just felt like that as a parent? You get older... I guess it's when you become a parent and you just like where's just where can I go to get some jeans, right? Not those, not I want I just want some jeans, right? But as soon as you get that new thing, culture's moved on. Just like fa- and that, that that's that's the same thing with cultural beliefs. You decide you're going to adopt that. Well, guess what? Now they're moving this way. Now they're moving that way. And so all you got to do is just sit there and float. What what kind of person are you when you just float in a boat? going wherever the the wind takes you. That's not what a Christian does. A Christian has convictions and grasp of Scripture and understanding. It doesn't mean you're mean and ugly and hateful. That's that's not right. But it means you understand the Word of God. It means you're compassionate towards those who have experienced that. And you're loving. Why? Because you want all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, right? So you're not out to condemn people. You're out to love them and help them to know uh, your Savior, Jesus Christ. So, a couple of uh, more thoughts. All life, as we've looked at, is a gift from God. God is the ultimate and the only giver of life. And so, your life is a gift from God. Just like those celebrities I mentioned, their lives to their mama, she had no idea who they would be. But their lives were a gift to her. And, and whether she was almost deciding to abort her baby or she didn't and people were trying to persuade her she didn't and now and now look at what her babies became in different ways and different things they've They've done. Whether you agree with them or not, that's not the point. Those are just examples for us. So, creation itself establishes your worth to God. And if it establishes your worth, then it establishes the worth of all human beings, whether they've been born yet or not. Look at Psalm 103. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. What did the psalmist say? It is He who made us. God created you. Not even mom and dad. God created you. You are worth something. That baby is worth something because God created that baby. Isaiah forty four twenty four. 24, Thus saith the Lord your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. See, this is a creation of life as a God thing. Psalm 139, one that's familiar to us, 13 through 16, For you formed my inward parts, You knitted me. Imagine, I want you to imagine that. That's beautiful language. Imagine that. God literally knitting you together. And that's how you were created. Knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. God's describing how precious life is to him and that he's the creator of all life and human life. Now... Creation establishes your worth to God. The cross establishes your value, okay? The cross establishes your value. Now, I I don't know what anybody's situation is, whether you're here in person or online. It's very likely that people in this audience and online have experienced in one way or another abortion in some way, right? And that may be something that's very tender for you. That may be something that makes you very angry. That may be something that is very hurtful for you. I don't know what your experience with that may be. But that's a tough thing to to deal with. And that's something that may still weigh heavily on you. But the cross establishes your value to God. Look at Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So whether you've done something ungodly, and guess what we all have, Christ died for us. Think about your most ungodly state you've ever been in. Christ died for you in that state For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you knowing how ungodly you are. Christ died for that baby that's not yet born. He died for that baby because one day that baby is going to need to hear the gospel. When that child gets old enough into a young person, and they hear that gospel, that good news of salvation, and they realize, you know what? I'm lost in sin too outside of Christ. And I need this good news, the salvation of Jesus in my life too. And someone might say, but yeah, you don't know what kind of uh, uh, life, what kind of family that baby's going to be born into. Look at the family, or or the doctor's telling them they have this kind of condition." Well, God still created that life. He may not have made all the circumstances happen and they may have been tragic, but God set in motion the way for that life to be created and he created that life. And that life is worthy of love and protection and care and salvation. And people have come from all kinds of tough, tough, bad family lives to go on to be amazing, wonderful people. Not that just goodness alone or great accomplishments alone save you. But looking at what we see with our physical eyes is not, uh, we're not God. We don't get to look at that and say, yeah, that situation's not good enough. Had they been born over here, that would have been acceptable. We don't get to play that game. That's not for us to decide. But God says, not only is my creation worthy to me, it is valuable to me. And the cross proves that because he loves us so much. He sent his son to die for our salvation. And I don't know where you're at this morning in your walk with God, whether that's something that has affected you personally or in your family or in a friend's life or something like that. You can always get right with God. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and so some people have done that, and yes, they can be forgiven, but that's no excuse to go and do that because something happened. But God has called us to live faithful lives to Him, and He wants us to know the love that He has for us, the value and the worth that we have to Him. And if you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, don't delay that. If you're ready to be a follower of Christ and say, I've messed up, I've been ungodly, but I want to live a faithful Christian life, we invite you to do that this morning. Maybe you need to get right with God this morning. You need to get, you need prayers, you need to ask uh, the church for prayers, you need to repent, and you want to get your life right with God, you can do that this morning. Whatever your need is, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.